Man, it's good to see you if you're a guest. We're glad you're here. I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're just glad you're here today. Today's kind of one of those special days in American culture. It's Super Bowl Sunday, man. I mean, it's just a cool day. Easter's the most important day in Christmas. I got it. But you got to come with Super Bowl Sunday's right following. He's following somewhere. And, uh, you know, today, you may not know this, is the number one betting day in America. People gambling on that stuff. But it's also one of the major days where people pray. You did not know that. People praying, man. I saw a survey not too long ago that said 13% of Americans pray that their favorite team win. I said, no way. It is so much higher than that. There today, there are many people praying. There are Kansas City Chiefs teams, people praying, Lord, it's been 50 years, please let us win. You know, 49ers fans, they'll be praying to the dark lord of the underworld for their team to win. I know how that goes. I'm going to Kansas City, I honestly. They're, they're quarterbacks from Texas. I'm a Texas guy. You know, the, the Chiefs started off in Texas. I'm going that way. We have people from Texas. We pray. Cowboys. I pray for the Cowboys all the time. I'm like, Lord, they're from Dallas, Texas. Texans love you more than anybody. Why don't you let them win? Don't hold Jerry Jones against us. That's not our fault. He came from Arkansas. Don't blame us for that. And we're praying like that, man. Americans pray. We pray. Listen. Half of the people in America will pray every day. It's true. Uh, there's right at half. And that's higher, believe it or not, than the number of people who go to church on a regular basis. Regular basis considered once a month. More people pray regularly than go to church regularly. 90% of people in America will actually have actually prayed for their health, which is remarkable considering that no, less than 90, but far less than 90%, close to 80-some percent of Americans or actually have any religious convictions at all. There's like 20% of Americans, getting close to 25 almost, that have no religious convictions. They have nothing to do with the church at all. 82% of people in America will pray for a family or friend. 74% will pray that when they have a problem, God will help them with the problem. 42% of people in America will ask God to forgive them for sin. 41% of the people in America will pray for people who are mistreating them or who are being hard on them. 37% said they pray for their enemies. 21% 21% of people in America pray they win the lottery. 100% of pastors pray that someone from the church wins the lottery, but that's a different, <laughs> that's an unofficial statistic that we have on that one. 15% of people will pray that when they do something wrong, no one will find out. Give me a break. That's so much higher. I pray that a lot. When I was younger, God, please don't let my parents know what I did. 7% of Americans pray that they'll find a parking space. And then they drive around the parking lot until one opens up that they like. So, I mean, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prayer. People pray. I have folks, you know, prayer matters. I mean, you go, you go to bookstores, the Christian section, there's all sorts of stuff on prayer. If it helps you, that's great. A few years ago, the prayer of Jabez was popular, and everybody was praying the prayer of Jabez, which basically is a prayer for the nation of Israel. Go right ahead. When people come to me and, and talk to me about prayer, I, I have a very simple philosophy about things like this. I want to go to the smartest person I know on any subject. I want to go to the person who is the absolute expert. And when it comes to prayer, there is one guy who is without a doubt the smartest person on the subject of prayer, knows more about prayer than anybody. His name's Jesus. And it's probably a pretty good idea. If you want to know something about prayer, go to Jesus. We got numerous prayers of his in the New Testament. They're good prayers. Twice, Jesus actually tells us how to pray. Luke 11, the the disciples said, teach us how to pray. And he taught them what we know as the model prayer, which is also found in Matthew chapter 6. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus on prayer, found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Most of you can quote this 
from the King James. I'm not going to look at the King James. I'm looking at the New American Standard. It's pretty close. Be, be thankful I didn't put the New Living Translation up there. You wouldn't have recognized it at all. It would be completely different. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here's what I want you to see about prayer today. In his model prayer, Jesus presents several concepts. To follow Jesus in prayer, follow these concepts. It's just that simple. And if you want to know how to pray, Jesus says how to pray, and he gives us some concepts, and that's what we're going to be going over and looking at. So we need to recognize that people struggle with how to pray, and we know that. And, 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 and people can be praying for a long time, and sometimes they'll say, my prayers just seem ineffective. It's like, I, don't, I can't know that I'm relating to God. I, some people, you know, they have no connection to God, and they just don't know, how do I even begin to pray? The, the passage we come to today, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is found in the middle of a sermon that Jesus is preaching called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, this sermon is important because in this sermon, Jesus is telling people, this is what it means to follow me. There's a group of people there who who are starting to follow him, listening. There are some who are curious, listening. There are some who actually have nothing to do with Jesus. They oppose Jesus, Pharisees and the scribes. They're all listening in. And so he's talking. Now, I don't have time to go. I wish I could set this up so much more, especially with the Sermon on the Mount, which I, whenever I appreciate it, I always want to talk about all of it. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about what it means to be a part of his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom is a foreign concept to us. I, and I get that because we think of kingdom, you know, I can, you know, kingdom of England or kingdom of France or whatever. But the kingdom has to do with the way God reigns over his people. It's the people of God. Now, and, and there's, a constant, there's a sense in which everything's a part of God's kingdom. I get that. But specifically in, in this temporal setting, in this setting of Jesus, in the earth that we live in now before Christ comes again and all that. The people who are followers of Jesus are part of the kingdom of God. So he's saying, this is how you live your life. And then he he comes to chapter 6, and he talks about righteousness. Because what most of this sermon is is doing is it's looking at the way that the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees and the leaders had set up the Jewish system that made it hard for people to come to God. I talked about that uh, all back last September. That was my sermon series. So Jesus is talking about a way to come to God that's fundamentally different. And he points out the self-righteousness of these Pharisees. They're hypocrites. He talks about their self-righteousness in prayer. He talks about it in giving money and in fasting. Basically, they believed that their righteous acts, the things they did that made them look good, obligated God to put them in a special place in the kingdom. So Jesus says they like to be seen by other people when they pray. They like to pray and everybody see them, you know. And so there were three times a day when the Jews were to pray, and the Pharisees would always make sure they were out, and they would stop everything they're doing, and they would give these long, eloquent prayers. I remember growing up in our church, and back when I was growing up, oftentimes we called on people to pray from the congregation. They called people to pray from the congregation. We don't do that much anymore for a lot of reasons. But, uh, and I remember this one guy, and I've told this story before in a long form. I won't do it. He, he would always pray so long, and my mama timed him. God bless my mama. What a saint. She timed him one time at 11 minutes. He prayed for 11 minutes. We stood the whole time. And he used the king's English. King James would not have understood that much king's English, man. And, I, and I'm, I'm looking back. I'm just telling you. I don't care. You can, he did it. 
to be noticed by everyone how beautifully he prayed. Jesus said when you pray that way, that doesn't, doesn't matter to God. In fact, he said, here's what you do to the Jews. Go pray in private, not in public. That'll solve that problem. And then the Gentiles, he also talked to them. He said the Gentiles, they love for people to hear their prayers. They pray over and over and over. The pagan Gentiles believed that the more you prayed, the more you obligated God to answer your prayer. And Jesus said God can't be manipulated. He already knows what you need. You don't have to ask him a bunch of times to force him to give you what you want. So Jesus said instead, here's how you pray. And here's something some kind of ironic. He, when he gives us the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it's probably the most prayed prayer of all in terms of repetition. And it's the most public prayer of all. It's been prayed in public who knows how many countless billions of times probably. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. There's nothing wrong with repeating your prayers as long as you're not trying to manipulate God. Prayer, prayers in many ways... If you think of it as a beautiful painting with so many colors, there's so many vibrant colors in, in a painting. When I was in college, I had to take some sort of appreciation class. It was either music appreciation, dance appreciation, or art appreciation. Well, I couldn't take dance appreciation. I was Baptist. I can't appreciate dancing at all. Music appreciation, I like music, all right. I appreciate rock and roll, fine. So I took art appreciation. And I learned a lot of things. Now, one of the things we talked about, and I only knew this from being a kid, but you probably know there's, there's three primary colors that all colors are based off of, blue, red, yellow. There are three secondary colors that come from the combination of primary colors, purple, orange, and then uh, violet. And so they make up the color spectrum in some capacity. Remember back when you were in elementary, like you were in kindergarten, and you get your first box of crayons, and there was those eight fat, thick crayons that you could color with, you know. And then the next year, you graduate up to 16, and then you go to 32, and finally you might get to 64, I, I, listen, I, I wasn't very good at coloring. I, I didn't get to 16 until I was in college. I mean, <laughs> it was tough. But there's eight colors. There's the three primary, the three secondary, and then there's black and brown. You got, and black is the combination of all colors. I, brown, I never knew what brown was in there. And, I, and I'm like figuring this out. Even this week, I was curious, how do you make brown? I, so I went to the most knowledgeable source of, of how to do things in the world. I went to the Internet. How do you make brown? Because the internet's always right. And here's what I found out. This is cool. If you learn nothing else today, learn how to make brown. You take a combination, a proportion of the secondary color, and you mix it with the primary color that ain't in it. So like you would take orange and mix it with blue, and you would get brown. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Some of you guys need to know that because brown's the only color you ever wear. So they want to help you out and kind of figuring that out. Here's the thing. All colors come off of those six basic concepts of color. Now, why am I telling you this? Because in prayer, there's basically six concepts that Jesus gives us. Three of them are what we would call primary concepts. And three of them are based on those primary and their secondary concepts. And they come off the nature of prayer. So let me kind of show you this way. Let's talk then about the vertical nature of prayer. The vertical nature of prayer is, is, is us coming to God. And we find the vertical nature of prayer in verses 9 in verses 10, Jesus says this, pray then this way. So he's telling us how to pray. Now, listen, when you want to know how to do something, find out if Jesus tells you how to do it. Pretty good bet. That's what you ought to do. So you can read all the books you want on prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Knock yourself out. If it helps you, good. But Jesus tells us how to pray. He says, pray this way, our Father who is in heaven. And that's critical because we have a relationship with God that's unique. See, the Jews didn't call God Father. 
when they pray. The Jews would call him, you know, Holy God, El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. Jesus said he's the Father. He's the God who is near. But he's also, there's a spatial concept. He's in heaven. He's far away. God is far away, that transcendence. He's near, that eminence. But that speaks of the closeness to God, but also the power of God. Our Father's in heaven. I have a, a daughter. Uh, she's in her early 30s. And every time I say that, the pause makes me realize, hell, I'm kidding, man. But she's in her 30s, and she lives many states away. And uh, I, I don't talk to her a whole lot. Her mama, that's her mama's job, talking to the daughter uh, a lot. But when my daughter calls me, I know she needs me. And so whenever my daughter, I see my phone, and, and Kelly's name pops up, I stop whatever I'm doing. Unless I can't answer it for some reason, like it's not possible. I don't care if I'm talking to you. And my daughter calls. I'm taking that call because I don't know how to tell you this. My daughter is more important to me than you. She just is. Because she has a relationship with me. She's my daughter. If my daughter needs her father, she can get a hold of her father any time she wants. And when she picks up the phone and I answer and say, hey, honey, and she says, daddy, then I know she wants money because that's when she calls me daddy. (laughs) And so the ATM is open for business. I'm a walking ATM, and I didn't even know that. But my daughter, she, because of that relationship, we, we have access to God. He's our Father. Our Father, who is in heaven. It says, then, holy or hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. The idea of name is the idea of someone's character. We pray in the name of Jesus. That means we pray under the character and authority of Jesus, not to be abused, but to recognize who he is. We come to the name of the Father. His character is holy. Holiness is the central characteristic of God. All the other characteristics are important. They flow off that. God is loving. God is, God is patient. How many times have I said, God, I know. I know, man, I'm messing up. But God, please, you're a patient God. Just be patient with me. God, be, be merciful. There's the character of God. And then Jesus goes in and says, your kingdom come. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, God... On this world, we want everything that's in that world. Here, among men, we want everything that's with you in heaven. So the kingdom, and some people think this is praying for the second coming of Christ. But he hadn't finished his first coming yet. He's just teaching them how to pray. Kingdom has the idea of the people that are in the kingdom. So he's praying, God, let there be more people in the kingdom. He's praying that more people come to salvation. As in heaven, where everybody there is a part of your kingdom, on earth, may it be the same. May people come into your kingdom. May your will be done. Jesus, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have this window, this picture into his prayer. He said, as he was looking at the cross, just hours away, Father, not my will be done, your will be done. So this, this vertical nature, we see some concepts. So let me tell you three primary concepts. Concept number one simply is this. We depend on our relationship with God. There's a dependence in our life when we pray. What, when we pray, what we're depending on is our relationship with God. There's a closeness I have to the Father. When I pray to the Father, I am depending on my relationship with Him. That I'm able to come to Him and enter into that communication. I am depending on my Father to listen to me. I am depending on my Father to hear me. So concept one is... We depend on our relationship with God. Concept number two is simply this. We recognize the character of God. Many of our worship songs 
are based on the character of God. God is holy. God, God is loving. We pray that God is merciful. God is powerful. There's all these characteristics of God. It all comes out of the holiness of God. Our God is a holy God. And whatever you say about God, understanding his holiness, then our God is a loving God. He's, he's, he's forgiving God. And because God is holy, sin can't come into his presence. And we are in trouble because of our sin. But because holy God is a merciful God. In love, he sent Jesus to save us. It's the character of God when you pray. So many times, in fact, all the time when I pray, I'm saying things like, God, we want you to be honored. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be praised. That's, that's recognizing the holiness of God. I mean, I, I just don't pray without saying, Father, I, I, we just pray that we honor you in all that we do. We're recognizing the holiness of God. God, we want to glorify you. We're recognizing the holiness of God. It's part of our prayer life. Concept number three is this. We call on the sovereignty of God. God, your will be done. You're sovereign. You're in control. I mean, this is where most of our intercessory prayer comes into, by the way, a lot of it. Because we're asking God to do something in someone's life. God, you know, so-and-so is sick. Would you heal them? Please. God, this person I care about, my neighbor, they're lost. They need to be saved. God, I can't save them. I can tell them about Jesus, but would you, God, you can save them. So, God, would you, would you save them? Because only you can do that. And pray for our kids when they get older a little bit and their lives kind of get messed up and we can't do anything. I remember telling Kelly when she went off to college, she said, honey, there's going to come a day when your daddy can't fix your problems. You know, there's comes that day. It's hard. It's not hard on the kid. It's hard on the dad. Because right now, a lot of you dads, you got your little kids, you can always fix their problems. Come a day, you can't do that. And I said, I can't fix your problems, but I know who can. And so, I, you know, you pray. You pray for God and his sovereignty to do those things. It's because prayer is important. But here's what we're praying. We want to see God's will be done, though. When we pray, we can get selfish, but we don't want to be selfish. The sovereignty of God says you will be done. So whether you're praying for sickness, someone's sick or safe or, or whatever, most importantly, we pray that our will falls in line with God's will. That's what we're praying. God, here's my will. I want my will to be exactly where your will is. So that's what I'm praying for. And I do this a lot. I do this when I pray for people like in the hospital. You have to be careful about this. When you go to the hospital... And, you know, like I'm going and someone's about to have surgery if I get there before they have the surgery. And I'm not always able to get there beforehand or any staff member. Sometimes we get there after. Uh, but if we get there beforehand and I'm going to pray or they're going to have surgery the next day, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God heal them, but I want to pray also that God's will be done. So this is what I do not pray. I do not pray, Father, we pray for their healing. But if it's not true that they be healed, let them die in peace. You know, you don't, you don't want to hear that. Hey, preacher, I'd rather you not send someone else. Send, send Mike. Mike doesn't do that, you know. Just send Mike. So what I pray then, as I, now you know my secret, like, please don't let me pray that prayer. As I say, Father, we pray that, that you are a God of healing, that you would take the doctors and nurses and healthcare providers and you would give them guidance. And we pray for the success of this surgery. But God, more than anything, I pray that your glory and honor be upheld, and you would give them the full measure of your grace in the full measure of your peace. Now, I'm praying that, because what I'm praying is that, God, if you don't heal them, let them die with your grace and your peace. I want your will to be done. 
Now, you know, you probably don't ever want me to come pray for you when you're in the hospital. Especially facing surgery, you'll say, it's like, send someone else, not the pastor. But what I'm saying is simply this. When we pray for the sovereignty of God, what we want more than anything is not your healing. What I want is God's will to be done in your life. You understand? That's the concept. It's the vertical nature of prayer. But we also have the horizontal nature of prayer. It has to do with that plane and where we exist as we pray. And so for that, we'll see verses 11 and 12 and 13. And so it says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is a difficult thing because back then, they lived day to day. And oftentimes, they, they may not eat if they didn't have any food. It's hard for us to understand daily bread because we always, I, mean, I always have enough food. I'm, that's not my prayers. I don't, but, but what daily bread means is needs, the needs we have. We pray for the needs of our life. Now, think about praying, praying for daily bread. And I get this. You know, I, listen, I have to figure out what the basic needs of life are. And we pray for those needs. And so it could be, it could be health. It could be loneliness. So it could be lonely and you pray. But whatever the basic needs of life are, we depend we come to God. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. To forgive means to let go. It's to release. A debt is the idea of as sinners we are indebted to God. God, release, forgive us for our debts. And in return, God, we're going to forgive other people. Now, that's part of the deal for a father of Christ. Uh, this is the only part of this prayer that Jesus talks about more. In verse 14 and 15, he says this. If you don't forgive people when they've sinned against you, then God isn't going to forgive you. Now, that's not, that's not God being vindictive or some quid pro quo, which most of you never knew what that meant until the last couple of months. But it's, it's the understanding that God's not saying, I only forgive if you forgive. What it's saying is this. If God has forgiven you, it is within your nature then to forgive others. And if you don't have the nature to forgive, then you probably haven't been forgiven. I'll talk about this more in just a little bit. But it also says, and do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Deliver from evil, the evil one, to guide us to another direction. Now, deliver us from temptation can be a little bit confusing because God doesn't lead us into temptation. But what this is, this is a, like a literary device that do not lead us. There's different ways to pronounce the fancy term for it. My southern, my Texas accent, I'll just call it this. It's a, a, a litterdays, is what it's called. A lot of days. There's different ways to pronounce it. It's when the negative speaks of the positive, and it means the opposite. Something like this. Um, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, and I remember there was a time in my day, whatever that day was, in the 20s and 30s, where some of us would get together and play a little football on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, before the big game, we'd play tackle, none of that touch or flag. We don't do that stuff. Take tackle ball. And, you know, nowadays, some 20 and 30-year-olds would come up and say, hey, David, you know, why don't we come play some football before the Super Bowl? And I'm like, you play tackle? And they say, yeah, I'm playing tackle. And I, I'd probably say, guys, I can't. Because I'm not as young as I used to be. See, that's why I'm not as young. I'm not young anymore. I'm not old, but I'm not as young. Now, I'm not saying that to them because I'm afraid they're going to hurt me and make me look bad. It's not that at all. I'll whoop them. There's no question about that. I don't care who you are. You want to play me? I'll whoop you. It's because at your age, I don't want, you to make, I don't want me to make you look bad. You're 25 or 6, and this old boy whoop up on you. You look bad. Some of you are laughing and scoffing, and, and I did this in the last service. Nobody raised their hand about how many of you think yourself young. But, but some of you guys are saying, I'm young, man. That ain't going to ever happen. You're an old man. Let me, let me tell you something. 
that you, you'll, you need to put in your back pocket one day. Just file this. Remember this. You young guys, get a little cocky. Remember this. Old age and treachery will always defeat youth and skill. True stay. I've learned that. The treachery part becomes really important as you get a little older. Jesus is using a device much like I ain't as young as I used to be. He's saying, Lord, lead us in another direction. Lead us in a place where there is no temptation or evil. Now, this brings us three more concepts. Now, here's the cool thing. These next three concepts become secondary to the first three. They're dependent upon them, and I hope you can see the relationship. Concept number four says this. We depend on God to meet our needs. Concept number one says we depend on God to have a relationship. Here, we depend on God to meet our needs. The God we have a relationship with is the God who meets our needs. He does. He meets our needs. I'm not worried about being hungry. I'm really not. We, we always throw food away. We can do that. Thirsty. <laughs> we, we were getting ready to go to Connect Night, and we were taking something. We were taking some mozzarella cheese sticks. We didn't have anything to dip them in. And, and I said, Debbie, we got some pizza sauce. I'll just drink that pizza sauce. And she says, is it good? I'm like, yeah, it's good. She says, when's the due date? Expiration date. I said, don't worry. She said, when's the expiration date? I said, April 2019. She says it's expired. I said, it's all right. You got up to a year. It won't matter. She's like, you got to throw that away. I said, why? They might get sick. And then we'll pray for their healing. And I got these six concepts. I'm good to go, babe. I got this covered. We throw stuff out all the time. So it's probably not food. But, but health. God, I'm lonely. I need companionship. See, we, we depend on God. Depend on God to meet our needs. The fifth concept is this. We recognize that God must forgive our sins. You see, we recognize the character of God. He's holy. I'm sinful. I can't come into his presence. So I recognize that holy God won't let me there except in love and mercy, God sent Jesus. And so I ask God to forgive me. I recognize, God, I need you and your character to forgive me. And because of that, I'll forgive other people. Listen, I I wish I had time to talk about this. I know forgiveness can be hard. It can be a journey. But this is what you do. You pray and ask God to help you forgive. Because Christians forgive. Now, sometimes you hear people say, well, you've got to forgive and forget. That ain't in the scriptures. You can't, you're not going to forget everything. Forgiveness is hard enough. You've got to forget everything too. Are you kidding me? But here's what you do. You understand that forgiveness is something that is absolute. But you pray that God helps you through that journey. Why? Because we've got the character of God. I can ask God to help me forgive someone because God is holy and he has forgiven me and he will help me. I have to recognize that. I have to. Concept six is simply this. We call on God for guidance. We call on the sovereignty of God. Well, the sovereignty of God means we call on his guidance. God, lead me. You know, there's so many paths that we have to go down. I got some tough decisions to make as your pastor. And I'm praying, God, show me the right direction. Because if I make a mistake, man, it can cost us a bunch. So I'm saying, God, here's what I pray all the time from God. I always want faith. You want me to pray for faith? Before I pray for faith, you know what I pray for? Before I want faith, I want wisdom. God, give me the wisdom every day. Give me the wisdom to know your will. Faith to do it. If I got a tough decision, God, this is a tough decision. Give me wisdom. Give me faith. 
So I pray for healing, yeah. I pray, I pray for my family, yeah. I pray for so many things. God, what do I got to do? What do I need to do to head in the right direction? You're a sovereign, God. I'm depending on that primary concept for the secondary concept. Show me what you want me to do. Here's the thing. This may be the secret of prayer. If you take these six concepts, but coming off this sixth one, but take all of them together. We pray so we can be where God wants us to be, not the other way around. Get this. The Jews and the Gentiles prayed that God would be where they wanted him to be. God, look how righteous I am. You owe me in your kingdom. The Gentile, God, I've implored your God or goddess. I've asked and asked 20 times, 30 times, 40 times. You owe me. And Jesus said, that's not how we pray. Some of you pray that way, though. Some of you are praying to try to get God what you want him. Uh-uh. The whole purpose of your prayer is for you to be where God wants you to be. And that's why some of you struggle in your prayer life right now. That's why some of you need help in your prayer life. That's why some of you, you need to forget all the other stuff about prayer, and you need to come back to this model and start praying these, this way, these, these six concepts, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to pray the way Jesus tells you to pray. He's the authority. Followers of Jesus will follow Jesus' pattern for prayer. It's who we are. Followers of Jesus will pray the way Jesus tells us. It's not, it's not some magic formula. You don't have to get all six concepts in the right ratio every time. <laughs> there are plenty of times in my life, and I've been, I've been a place where all I can know to pray for is just the mercy of God, and that's all I ask for. I get that. But in the balance of that portrait, of that beautiful landscape with all those colors, there are six concepts. They're going to keep showing themselves over and over and over. Pray like this, Jesus said. Some of you today, we're, as we get ready to have our invitation, some of you need to make this commitment. You need to get back to just praying the way Jesus wants you to pray. If for whatever reason, your prayer life has kind of gotten off kilter, or maybe it's gotten got a little haywire. So just do this. Just go back and get, start praying the Lord's Prayer. And just start praying that, and you can start expanding on it. You can start growing from there. Just get, get back where you need to be. So maybe this invitation time for you today is to get where you need to be and say, God, my prayer life isn't where it needs to be. Heavenly Father, I depend on you. Help me get right back, and I'm going to start praying like Jesus told me to pray. Make that commitment. Some of you, in your prayer life, you need to start praying that you'll be where God wants you to be and not where you want God to be. That's your problem. The problem is with your prayer life is you, you're not trying to be where God wants you to be. You keep trying to get God to be where you want him to be. So your commitment today is, Father, help me to be where you want me to be. Because so I don't know what you need to do. We'll be up here. If you want someone to pray for you, we're here to pray. Intercessory prayer is so important. We'll pray on your behalf. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for a loved one. If we, listen, we'll pray. I don't know what you need to do. You want to join our church? You can join our church. You, do, you want to give your life to Christ? We'd love to have you give life to Christ. So we'll be here. But the most important thing for you today is make this commitment. When you walk out of here today, you'll pray the way Jesus told you to pray. Lord, we do love you. You are a, you're a God who just is so gracious, holy and kind to forgive us the magnitude of our sin. We want to honor you and glorify you in all our life. And part of the way we honor and glorify you 
is to pray the way you want us to pray. So I ask in the name of Jesus. I ask the power of the Holy Spirit that we'll pray like Christ. This will be the pattern of our prayers. And in doing so, Father, our relationship with you will grow. And we'll be where you want us to be. And that's our desire, to be right where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We'll be at the front. You come.